Hello and welcome to the Jester's Court. I am your host, Mike, and with us, as always, is Miss Jen. Um, you have not been in the intro for a while. No, I haven't been in the intro for a while. I don't know why that is. Timing, because we haven't been recording it all at the same time. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, today is the exception to that, that we're going to pretend. Okay. <laughs> so how have you been? Like I said, it's been like a month since you've done the intro. Um, you know... Just living the dream, as always. How about you? I I don't remember if, because without you to, to chat with, I haven't talked about my own personal stuff either. So I don't remember if we mentioned that I have a new position at my job. But I do. I am full-time now and can almost about a month away from dropping my second job. So that's cool. Yeah, it is real cool. Because it's, it's um, I know it's in the in the um it, it's in the field that you actually kind of excel at like not many people can do um what you're doing uh like me for example i can't do it no fuck no um which is you know like trying to convince people to you've always been good at this that's that's the long and short of it. so so for those who don't know i am financial stability manager now um and I'm running a grant program called VITA. So right now, basically what I'm doing is begging people to let me talk to their organizations and recruit volunteers. Yeah. You're doing that. You're doing pretty good. <laughs> just just putting it out of there. Right. So before we get in the show, I do want to do shout outs for our patrons. Do it. We've got Mr. Kyle Keir, our founder. Yeah, Kyle. Um, Robert Hood. Rob Bad. Derek Diamond. Yelp from the Derek Diamond Experience. I just lost my train of thought. What I was gonna say is he starts he starts filming on his his new short film um, this week. Nice. So nice. that's something we can look forward to. Maybe have him back on when it's out. And then, last but not least, all of our favorites, Mister Carlos Langoria. I am the Rampage. I am the Rampage. Yes. Rampage is the only person who listens to my podcast, with the, sometimes the exception of Jay. <laughs> Jay listens, at least he says he does. I always listen when it comes out, so you got listeners, you got followers. Three. I still think Anchor is messing up your numbers. They swear they're not, but there's no way your numbers are that low. Um, I think you're right. I think that they are messing up my numbers, but that's that's fine. You know, that's fine. Because I know I've had a couple of people from... Um, listening from like Australia and stuff like that because uh, internet yeah. friends, you know, and it they don't show up at all. Yeah, I swear they're only showing you the actually listening through Anchor listens. Right. Because there have been weeks where it says you have no listeners. I'm like, well, I listen on Apple and I know I listened. So. Right. I call BS, but whatever. Whatevs. Whatevs. Uh, so we are going to go watch the movie, guys, and then we're going to be right back. Okay, let's go watch this movie. And we are back. Uh, let's talk about The Golden Child. Oh, boy. <laughs> Released in 1986, it stars Eddie Murphy, J.L. Reet, Charlotte Lewis, Charles Dance, Victor Wong, and James Hong. Um, directed by Michael Ritchie. It made $150 million U.S. off a $25 million budget. So it was financially successful, but here's here's how studios like to fuck things up. It made a ton of money, right? 
Mm-hmm. But Paramount, when they greenlit this and got Eddie Murphy involved, was hoping for Beverly Hills Cop money. So even though it made tons of money, Paramount considered it a failure. Well, I could see that. You could see that? Yeah. Yeah, it only made $125 million domestic. I know. I know. I looked at the numbers. Actually, it made $149.4 million. Yeah, 150 overall. But but I was doing it off the budget. So it was a $25 million budget, which right. means it okay. made, made, it, it earned $125 million. Yeah. Um, Rotten Tomatoes also seems to, to agree with Paramount because they gave it a dismal 22%. It's listen. I thought it was great when I was a kid, but I I have to agree with Rotten Tomatoes now. I was not a fan. I still love it. And now, granted, again, it was it was one of my favorite movies as a kid because I loved Eddie Murphy as a kid. But I still like this. Mm. Well, you know, you can't always be right. <laughs> Are you ready to go for the rundown? Yep. All right. So we open. Um, it's, it's in Tibet in a temple. There's a boy who can bring back dead birds to life. Um, and he's kidnapped from this temple by Tywin Lannister. <laughs> You're right. I thought that guy looked familiar. I was like, he was in Game of Thrones, wasn't he? He was. Among <laughs> many other things. He's one of the, aside from Eddie Murphy, he's one of the actors in this film that's been in like all over the place. Everything, right. Um, oh, it, it, let's just put this out there, right? There's a guy in the beginning. And I know he's supposed to be one of the Tibetan monks or whatever, right? Like the warrior guys protecting the golden child. Mm -hmm. But I swear to God, he is like the Asian version of Benedict Cumberbatch. And I thought for sure it was Benedict Cumberbatch for a minute. I was like, no fucking way. Like, what did they do? And then I (laughs) I realized that it was not, in fact, Benedict Cumberbatch. It was just some dude who had an uncanny resemblance to him. I mean... Going back through the 60s, 70s, and even early 80s, it would not mm-hmm. have been completely out of place for them to put a white actor and make him play an Asian person. I know. That's why I said, what did you do? And then I realized it was... I mean, I went and looked up the filmography. It was not him. Yeah. No, no, it was not. I think he would have been too young, because I think Benedict Cumberbatch is closer to our age than... Yeah. Right. That's so what I was like. Is he... Is, does, <laughs> this movie was released in 1986. So I was like, God bless. I mean, how old are you, Cumberbatch? But, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, in America, and I say it like that because it transitions into it's the, you can't say it any other way than it's an America montage. It right. Literally has nothing to do with the story, the plot, nothing. You just see America and the streets and businesses, and it's so yeah. out of place. Um, Eddie Murphy, who plays Chandler, mm-hmm. is a private detective specializing in finding missing children, and he's putting up flyers. Um, you see Chandler on TV, or after seeing Ch- Chandler on TV, um, Kay, who we tracks him down. Kay is eh, the female protagonist, the love interest, I guess. Um, she tracks him down to find the child, tells him the story of the golden child, and of course he doesn't believe her because why would you believe that? It's <laughs> it's a little cray-cray. Uh, transitions, Chandler is at a crime scene now where they find the girl he was looking for in the beginning. Key is there. Um, which is a little weird. Uh, inside the house, there are like strange writing on the walls and some really creepy oatmeal with blood in it. <laughs> yep. Um, and now we have our second montage. This is Chandler investigating montage. <laughs> At least this one ap- applies to the plot. 
Um, right. While he's investigating, he sees Key again. Um, and she says the case he's working on for the girl is actually her case looking for the golden child. They're the same case. Um, they have questions, and Key, Key knows who can answer it. So they head to a shop. Um, I'm guessing it's in Chinatown. It doesn't really say, but it does not look like it'd be sitting next to a 7-Eleven. Um, downstairs, there is literally a dragon lady. Like, it's a screen, and you can see a tail. And she tells him about the golden child um, and what's up with the blood and the oatmeal. It's a trick to pollute the golden child, allowing him to be killed, because right now he can't be killed unless he's corrupted. Uh, Key drops Chandler off at home. Um, he shoots a shot and is denied. He's like, you, you want to come up? No. <laughs> um, you flash to the bad guys. Golden Child is in a cage with some more blood oatmeal. They really want him to eat that. And <laughs> they're like, that's all they're giving him. Meanwhile, he's surviving by eating like little leaves, like a mint leaf. Right. Um, one of the thugs is messing with him, shooting with a slingshot a couple times. But um, Golden Child has the force with him, so he's reflecting away the rocks. Um, then Golden Child, using the force, makes a Pepsi cam form into a little guy who dances. It's a great effect. It's one of the few special effects that still holds up in this movie. It looks amazing. The little dancing Pepsi can. Uh, but this is interrupted by uh, Lannister. Uh, back to it goes back after they're broken up. It goes back to Chandler. Golden Child reaches out to him, and and just so they could prove how you know good versus bad, this was a very bad effect. <laughs> Essentially, the the kid floating like out the window, and it was like, just, <laughs> it, you so you old. went from the amazing shot with a Pepsi can, right? I mean, it looked so good to this shot, and it's like really. Um. We get a phone tip and are on the trail of some bikers. We find their house. Um, Chandler sneaks in, shits the bed, and is saved by Key. Shits and the bed? Totally shits the bed, as it screws it up, as it gets yes, caught. Yes, yes. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what did now, I miss? He didn't literally shit the bed, but he shat the bed. Because <laughs> he's like, stay in the car, I got this. This is not woman's work. And she goes and saves his butt. I also put a note here. Why is there a motorcycle in the house? That's just where they put those whenever they're, you know, not riding them. Like a witch's broom, they just stick it in the corner. It's just Ow! chilling right there in the living room. Anyway, Chandler questions him about the girl. Um, they tell him they sold her to this guy named Tommy Chong, Tommy Tong, not Chong, Tommy Tong. Mm -hmm. So they're off to the head him off. They head to it. He owns a restaurant. Uh, they arrive at the restaurant owned by Tommy Tong. Chandler goes in alone again. He asks for Tong and is attacked. Apparently we lost the gun because he had a gun and he's not using it. Why is he not using it? Right. Because he had a gun. Totally had a gun. Would have come real handy right here. But that's okay because Key arrives again to save him. It's a running theme. Uh, they chase the attacker down the alley, but Mr. Um, Lannister appears again and kills him off before they can get to him. He turns into a rat, which is kind of funny. Back in the Den of Evil, as I'm calling it, Sardo, which is, I've been calling him Lannister, but his actual character name is Sardo, communicates with the devil, we find out, who tells him to move the child and get a special dagger that can kill the child. Chandler is home and goes to sleep. He has a dream, which is just a funny sequence, by the way, where he sees Sardo and his thugs. 
Sardo makes him an offer, but not really. Um, either way, Chandler turns him down, and Sardo tells him he will trade the, the child for the dagger. Do you remember this dream sequence? Yeah, it's kind of stupid. It's stupid funny. It's stupid, but it's funny. Yeah. Stupid sometimes can be funny, but... Um, Chandler goes back to the dragon lady, asks about the knife. She tells him how to get the dagger, and we are off to Tibet. Convince, I put convinced with the power of booty, because he did not want to go. But he's in the cave, and she wants to go. Um, in Tibet, Chandler meets a street vendor who rips him off for a necklace and disappears. Um, and then off to the mountains we head. In a mountain temple, the challenge for the dagger begins. The street vendor is there and in charge. He sends Chandler to the challenge, gives him a glass of water, and says he can't spill any and to stay on the path. Mm-hmm. Um, pillars and a suspension bridge over a seemingly bottomless pit. That is the path. Uh, Chandler makes it to the bridge, sees the dagger, but out of nowhere, a flame like burns the bridge down, like just takes it out. Right. It just it just all of a sudden catches fire. Um, and he has to make his way on the pillars, but then some of them fall when he steps on them. It really feels like a Legend of Zelda video game. Really does. <laughs> um, he does make it to the dagger. Oh, you know what I forgot? And I can't believe I didn't mention it specifically because it's the title of this episode. When 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 they arrive and they're talking to the street vendor who's you know in charge of the temple, he makes them say you know declare what he's there, and probably one of the funnier moments in the movie. I want the knife when he does it like he moves it back and forth like a old school mm-hmm. rap. It was just mm-hmm. I can't believe I didn't mention it. <laughs> Anywho, he makes it to the dagger, but flames come up when he reaches for it, and then he figures. I don't know how he figured... See, my mind was you should pour the water on the fire, right? Mm-hmm. But apparently he figured out, just out of nowhere, he has to drink the water and then he can grab the, the, the dagger. Is that what you would have come up with? Because I really no. would have... I would have like, put it on the... like the, I would have been like, oh, just extinguish the fire. Right? I literally would have had to go back and try again because I would have poured it on the fire. Right. <laughs> but he retrieves the dagger. He's smarter than we are. Um we fly back to America, and Sardo is waiting at the airport with the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chandler tells him to bring the child, and I'll give you the knife. He he tries. He, he's foiled in his plan, basically. Right. Um, we do go to wine country for a safe house, which is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. It, it's no one's house that you're aware of. So, we're, I mean... Whatever, it's the 80s. It's the era right. of you shoot a bullet near a car and it blows up. Um, That night at the country house, the attack begins. Chandler and Key flee, but are surrounded in the woods. Key using some very unnecessary flips, sacrificing herself to save Chandler. <laughs> right. It looked um, cool. Yeah, it, so unnecessary flips, sacrificing herself to save Chandler. It, it really just was not... It, it, you know what it reminds me of? Remember Galaxy Quest? Mm-hmm. When, when he was doing the flips and stuff? Mm-hmm. on the planet and they're like mm-hmm. why'd you do that and he's like you know you know reasons and they're like where's your gun and he lost his gun because he was flipping around on the ground right <laughs> that's um that's what it made me think of <laughs> <laughs> um but she sacrificed herself um but she saves chandler but sardo gets away with the dagger so now we're going to the final confrontation following the bird <laughs> a willow reference um, we come up on a hillside mansion. 
Chandler sneaks in, finds the dagger just laying on the floor, and starts looking around. Finds the child and confronts Sardo, who turns into a demon. Stop motion demon, by the way. Yeah, he's a winged demon. <laughs> Which, I mean, he was talking to the devil before. It's not, you know, out of completely out of the scope of the film. Um, we run off with the golden child to get in the car and drive off with Sardo flying behind. They end up in an abandoned factory or something. I don't know for sure what that is, but it, it looks like an abandoned factory or something. Sardo follows him in. They fight for a bit. Sardo gets buried in rubble. Um, then we drive off again back to the dragon lady. We see Key, but before they can get, get to her, Sardo pops up and attacks again. Using the dagger, Chandler kills him. And then Golden Child brings Key back to life. And big happy family credits. That is our movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, you before we get into the specific complaints and stuff, you had mentioned that you had got some like some racist vibes off this. Yeah, I, I did. Like it, it just seems like it was extremely racist. I don't really get that. It's now it's it not is. it's not respectful to Asian mysticism. It is not. But I wouldn't really peg that as racism per se. What what were you thinking specifically? It just it's very stereotyped uh, as far as, you know, they never really tell you that it's Tibet. Right. They never say specifically Tibetan or anything like that or, or identify any particular culture. It's just, you know, an Asian thing. Right. So it's I can't really put my finger on it. It's just that it's 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 very highly. I mean, some of the way that people were dressed is very highly stereotyped big time. And I, OK, I can give you that. And again, I think to me that that just goes into the not really respecting Asian mysticism, which. Right. I, I, I maybe qualified it's not because compared to some of the other stuff going on in the era, this was the 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 Asian characters were strong, you know. Right. The, right. They weren't stereotyped as, as far as what they did. Well, maybe the street vendor thing, but even that's not really an Asian stereotype. Uh, let me just put it in this context, okay? So I just wasn't a fan of the movie, so I may be looking for things to pick out because there is um um there is a movie called the last dragon, which you've never seen. And that makes me so sad, but that one is like hugely stereotyped, hugely stereotyped, like big time, like big, huge stereotype. Um, so, I mean, I like that movie. So, <laughs> um, I'm just looking for things to pick on it to be perfectly honest with you. But there, I mean, there's a lot of like racist stereotypes that are there and the way people dress and all that other stuff. Okay, no, no, I mean, and and we're going to go through the complaints, and I'm looking through them, and they're really true, the, the complaints. Um, this is another one of, this is one of those movies that we're doing that's like a childhood favorite that I'm I, I'm strong in the nostalgia that might not hold up so well, but I still love it. Mm-hmm. So, the top complaint, can you guess what it was? What? I mean, it's pretty obvious, bad effects. It was really bad effects. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, the, but what did they expect for 1986? I... Even for 86, it kind of felt thrown together. Um, now, again, Pepsi can thing, beautiful. Right, right. Beautiful. But the rest of it... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did put a note that, once again, people are confused and called it CGI, and none of those are CGI effects. They're, they're all practical. They're all practical effects, yeah. Um, 
other complaint that we had, characters are flat and forgettable. Yes. And with the exception of Eddie Murphy, I, I, I'm going to say, yeah, again, yep. I, you could have explored a whole lot more with the Golden Child. Right. Who literally did not speak to the whole freaking movie. She didn't say a thing. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, too, that's supposed to be a male, and that was a female playing a male child. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's one of our fun facts. Yeah. They cast a, they cast a, a little girl. A, a, little, a little girl. Boy. Mm-hmm. But since they didn't talk, it did. I mean, did it really matter? It didn't matter. They're prepubescent, so heads shaved. You couldn't tell. So yeah, they, they there was a lot they could have done with this movie. And when we get down to the fun facts, there's a version of this movie that they didn't do that I think would have been better. Um, music is our last complaint, and it did not age at all. It's so there's no score. No score. It's all just cheap 80s music mm-hmm. and not even good 80s music. No, it's it's just like random like keyboard riffs here and there and synthesizers, you know? It's just like It could have it could have been done better. And this is something so that's in the fun facts as well where they screwed up the music basically. Um overall thoughts, I'm going to put it again. I said this I briefly a minute ago. This feels like a video. The action of this movie feels like a video game. Yeah, no, I got you there. It really does. Like, if they had made it into a video game, it could have been a cool game. Like, okay, let me give you an example. Other because we talked about the pillars and the fire with the dagger. Mm-hmm. But then, okay, when he's when he's infiltrating the the bikers den. Right, right. He is exploring through this house, which takes him longer than it should for a house that size. Right. And guys are just popping up one at a time. He dispatches them. Then another guy pops up. He dispatches them. That doesn't happen in real life. No, they would have all been getting at the same time instead of one at a time. When we started the scene, they were all sitting together in the living room. Right. So what did they just split up and just go? <laughs> yeah, they're all, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Jack, Jack, or Jeff's going to go to the kitchen, make popcorn. You know, like. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it felt like. Messy. It, 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 I think ultimately, while I like this, this movie, it could have been done better. You're I, right. I, it could have been. You know, a, a, a kid Mike loved it because I loved Eddie Murphy. He's hilarious. And that's something, too, to mention. The, the the comedy hits, it's the rest of the movie that just kind of flops. I mean, but it's hard to have Eddie Murphy in something where he's not funny. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty few and far between. He's really not that funny in this movie. Really? You don't think so? No, not really. It hurts my soul a little bit. Why? I think he I is. mean there are times that he is funny but it's not it's not the same level of humor that he normally has. Well, but no, I wouldn't say it's his best. Okay, granted. But when you're looking at the film overall, would you not say the comedy is the thing that really that's what the, that's what happens well. As as mm-hmm. or or you won't say well, how about this? Will I get you to concede that it's the best element out of this yes. film? Yes. Yes, you will. That is a thing you'll get me to say. Okay, so this is going to be one of those examples of where we're going to need you guys to chime in because we don't agree. So I, I need to see some some comments, comments, some tweets. tweets. You guys, let us know what you think. Yeah. Are you ready? Give for us some, oh, the which, tea. <laughs> are you ready for some fun facts? Yeah. All right, fun. Give me some fun facts. Fun it. facts. Hurry it up. Um, this is what take I was talking about. Long. That <laughs> take it too long. This, this is gonna be a short episode. Take it too long. <laughs> um, this is where I was talking about. There was a better version of this film. Right. Uh, the film was intended as a serious adventure drama with Mel Gibson in the lead role. Oh and man! You you gotta remember this is before he was toxic crazy. Right. 
Um, but I mean, it, I mean, like '80s Mel Gibson was like peak Mel Gibson. Yeah. So I, this is where I'm saying, like, and a serious adventure drama starring, you know, a big action star, mm-hmm. I think would have done better for this film. Yeah. Um, no, after Gibson you. turned it down, and Eddie Murphy replaced him, they rewrote the script as a partial comedy. Oh man. Um, second fun fact kind of ties into that. Eddie Murphy turned down a role in Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home in order to make this film. Oh man, he should have done Star Trek. He's a huge Star Trek fan. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. He is a huge Star Trek fan. Um, but he he went with this one instead. Both films were released on the same day. Nice. And the teaser the teaser for this film was shown before Star Trek Four. Ah. <laughs> I bet you after he saw this movie, after it was put together, he was like, I should have fucking done Star Trek. Possibly. But he, Pro- no, no, not but again, possibly. He again, was. remember financial success. So he made a buttload of money on this. Yeah, for the 80s. Um, in an interview for Fangoria number 113, Charles Dance, which was one of the writers, mm-hmm. explained how, how this movie was drastically changed by hey, Paramount. Wait, 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 wait. Charles Dance... Who started? Oh, no, 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 Dance not writer. Sorry, he was Sardo. one of the actors. Sorry, he's one of the right. actors. Right. My bad. But um, he he explained in this interview how the movie was drastically changed by Paramount after the first test screening. Uh huh. And his quote here is: "Initially, The Golden Child was a very interesting script with a lot of um, resonance, uh-huh. but Paramount basically chickened out. Surprise, surprise! Right? How many films? <laughs> how many films have we talked about where the studio just ruined them?" So many. So it continues. When they first screened it, it was a very different sort of film for Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Paramount took too much notice of the preview audience's unease about the unfamiliarity of Eddie's character. Uh, they had gotten to know him so well through Beverly Hills Cop that they wanted the character to be much more like that. So the studio went back and reshot a lot of footage of Eddie doing Eddie Murphyisms, yeah. which is probably why you don't think it's his best comedy because they were right. added in and they put him in the picture. Um, then they took out a really sumptuous, weird, and beautiful score by John Williams. Talking about the music, John Williams. They took out John. They took out John Williams. Pause for a second. Why? And we're gonna say that again, just so you heard me correctly. They took out a score by John Williams. Why? And replaced it with something more funky. Why? Um, his final line in this, and you can see how much how much he liked what they did to the film. Is so basically what you got was Beverly Hills Cop in Tibet. That's so funny. That's kind of tracks though. That tracks real good. Like, <laughs> but again, how many times have we done this where the studios just muck things up? They just fuck it up. Like, I like, I don't understand what their their motive is at that point, especially if they had John Williams working on a score and they took him out. Like, he's already been paid. So what was what was the point of it? What was the point? Uh, it wasn't our, to save money. Remember. It wasn't to save money. Um, our last fun fact. Yeah. John Carpenter rushed to beat the Golden Child into theaters. Really? Let's give you some some perspective. First off, Carpenter was one of the people that was approached to do this movie. Okay. But instead, you know what he did? What? The, basically the same goddamn movie. Um, Big Trouble in Little China. But Big Trouble in Little China is a fucking great movie. Cult great. No, no, it's... Okay, I'll give it to you. <laughs> um... In order to beat the Golden Child of the Theaters, Car- Carpenter limited his prep period on Big Trouble in Little China to 12 weeks uh-huh. to make sure his movie came out in, in July of 86, five months before the Murphy movie. Because they're the same movie. They are so the same movie. He's quoted, if Big Trouble released at the same time as Golden Child, we, we would be killed at the box office because audience love Eddie Murphy. Basically, he's like, these are the same movie. His has Eddie Murphy in it. We need to get ours out first. Nice. 
Nice. So, Carpenter. but Big Trouble in Little China is a good movie. <laughs> I like it's it. Much it's much better than I this like one. it. It's on my list to defend. Um, it opened on Fourth of July. The Carpenter film. It made eleven point one million. Well, as we've already discussed, uh, Golden Child made well over a hundred million. But that is our fun facts. What do you think of those? Yeah, I think when you uh, those also you forgot, you know, the one that I already mentioned, which is that the Golden Child was actually played by a young lady. Which means it must have not actually. I know I saw it. It must have not made it into the list. But yes, we as we discussed, uh, it is an actress playing the Golden Child, not an actor. Right. She was seven when she started filming, and um, she retired as soon as the movie was out. Which is probably good, because usually kids, kid actors, especially the ones in the, that age range, do not fare well if they continue acting. Yeah. I mean, am I wrong? No. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you, know, you know what you could look at? What? The Harry Potter cast is a great example. Yes. Um. Because basically, Harry did okay. He kept acting. Right. Ron... Oh, Emma Watson did too. No, but see, Emma Watson left the business, went to college, and then went back. Right. And, and well, see, Rupert for me, Clinch I think that's the route. doing it now, um, but there are a lot of them that did not continue acting. A lot... Of, no, but and a lot of the secondary characters had some rough lives too. Right. Um, Crab and Goyle. Right. They, they've had some... We'll say run-ins with the law. Well, a few. <laughs> So that is our show for tonight. We have some exciting news because the Innsmouth Rag is getting ready to come back for season two. We just watched the movie for our first episode. You want to talk yeah. about that, Jen? Um, so we're, we are going to record the Innsmouth Rag coming soon because it's August. So I'm, we're, we're hoping that the first episode will drop sometime in mid-August and we still have to talk about the two shows. And compare those zombies because I just, you know, fucked off the whole <laughs> the whole break that I was supposed to be doing. But um, so we're opening up the show with Vivarium and um, it's a fucking freaky ass movie. Yeah, not to give too much away for the, the end of the episode, <laughs> right? but it is a mind fuck. It's a mind fuck. So please tune in sometime within the middle of August for our very first episode of Vivarium for the Innsmouth rag. Very nice. Very nice. Um, it did so good. Got, speaking of Insmith Rag and this show, uh, you can check out our merch. The link is in the show notes. And we've got some new merch, including some Insmith merch and yeah. some audio circuits for our production company. It's what we call ourselves. We are so, an audio circus production. So go check out our merch. Buy some because, you know, we like money too. And then you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Jester's Court Pod. Um, and that's our show, guys. Thank you for coming out, and we'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>